0: Hey guys, Jack here. Uh, lots of exciting news. So first I just wanted to remind everybody that Peter O'Neill, an excellent online player, and myself have been teaming up to do the Just Hands stream Wednesdays from 9 to 11 at twitch.tv slash justhandspoker. And that's really an excellent opportunity to see us uh, encounter some more pedestrian spots that don't end up you know, making the podcast, but are extremely important. Uh, and we both try and go into as much detail as we can, you know, throughout the stream. And so I think it's just a really great opportunity to pick up on some of our strategy. And you know, Peter and I have been enjoying streaming so much that I think we're going to just, you know, up our volume a little bit and do some impromptu streaming uh, over the weekends and just, you know, whenever. And the way to, you know, make sure you catch that, uh, one, You know, all the streams are archived on Twitch and will soon be archived on our YouTube channel that we're working on. More to come about that next week. Uh, But you can also follow us on Twitter, Just Hands Poker, and, you know, we'll be tweeting whenever we decide to stream. Also, I wanted to remind you guys that uh, we have a couple new regular installments on our blog. Uh, Every Tuesday, we're going to be releasing a blog post that accompanies the episode where Zach and I alternate. Doing a slightly more in depth and uh, software oriented analysis uh, of the week's hand. Also, on Thursdays, Zach and I are going to be alternating a more in depth uh, strategy or other topic, you know, extended article. So, for some examples, last week uh, I posted an article about 10 mistakes your opponents are making and how to let them. One, not become your own mistake. And two, how to maximally exploit that mistake. And this week, Zach is doing a post about how to get the most information possible from just one hand. Uh, So this is some really great information. I highly recommend you guys tune into the blog to check out. And remember, you can find our blog at justhandspoker.com forward slash strategy. Finally, our friend John Metz has just gone pro and is going to be doing a weekly installment about that transition. And uh, there'll be some strategy, just some personal stuff. And John's a really awesome person, uh, very worth checking that out. Finally, just a couple run-of-the-mill things. Remember, you can always come to our website, justhandspoker.com. That's where the blog is. That's also where you can submit your hand histories. Uh, where, you know We'll respond to those hand histories whether or not we put them on the show you can check out information about our live event with Greg Raymer and you can comment on some of our new blog posts particularly the software analysis post uh, where we're hoping to start a more in-depth strategy discussion have somewhere where you know people can weigh in on the hands all right thanks for listening uh, and enjoy this episode with our special guest Dave Carp uh, so
1: hands.
0: should we talk
2: talk about the hand let's talk some let's hands talk some poker. so as as set up um, Playing one two, I've got I think about seven or eight hundred, maybe a little more than that, um, and that's through a combination. I'm, this is a daytime one two game at Maryland Live, um, so there's a lot of regs at the table, and Maryland Live one two regs uh, tend to be pretty good at avoiding trouble. Um, they they don't bluff a lot, they don't three bet a lot. Um, they will call to see a bunch of flops, sometimes because they want to try to hit that high-hand bonus, uh, and sometimes because like you, you're not playing one 2 no limit to fold all the time. Um, and so they're willing to see a lot of flops, but then if they don't get top pair better, most of them will just get out of there. Um, it's the type of table where like I, I find, generally speaking, I'm making a lot of money on small pots and medium pots, uh, and uh, usually not winning or at least when the pot gets big, it means that they have something big as well. So that's where, um, like if I'm going to win a big pot, it's usually because both of us happen to have run into a big hand. Um, and you know, if it's set over set, then I'm as likely to have the top set as the medium set. Um, so most of my money is usually coming from small and medium pots. Uh, you can, uh, bluff and barrel pretty easily. Certainly I think more easily than most people think you can at one, two. Um, And the goal is when somebody raises you or when somebody's firing multiple barrels, usually that means they actually have something, so you should just get the hell out of there. Um, So that's kind of some of the metagame setup for this. Um, I've got about 800. I haven't shown down any bluffs. I think the times that I've shown something down, I haven't shown down a lot of hands, but when I have, it's been a strong hand. But the whole table also knows that I'm raising frequently enough that I must have a pretty wide range. Um, And uh, I'm in... I want to say it's uh, probably uh, under the gun plus 2. It's a pretty early position. Uh, pick up kings, and I make it 12. Um, 12 is a little small for kings uh, at this table. I could certainly go higher. Um, but because they're in such a habit of calling me and expecting I have a wide range, I think 12 is a, is a good spot where I can get between 1 and maybe 2 or 3 callers, and then I can try to extract money from them when they make a lower top pair, and I can still get out of there if an ace falls. Um, Wait. Make it
1: 12. So, so, before we move on, do yeah. you feel like this is a table that's exploitable enough that you can have exploitably different opening race sizes, and you're not gonna people aren't gonna catch on to that? But I feel like that's something that even like kind of the worst recreational players notice if there's a substantial difference?
2: Uh, yes. If I make it, I mean, I wouldn't make it bigger than 15 in early position. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one else has entered, but I could make it 15, and what that would do is. I think the regs at the table would notice that that's larger than I'm usually raising it. And for the most part, like, if they have a suited connector, a pocket pair, or, like, ace-jack off-suit or better, they're going to realize that, and then they're not going to care. Like, they're not going to say, oh, 15 probably means he has actual premiums, so let me get rid of, like, king-queen. They're still going to play king-queen. Um, so I could go. Fi- I could go 15 if there was one or two people who had a little bit higher bluffing frequency or a little bit higher floating frequency, then I would do that in order to make sure that I don't get into a multi-way pot where it ends up getting big and I'm out of position before I know where I'm at. Um, but the bluffing frequency is low enough at this table right now. It's not zero, but it's like, there's nobody who's looking to do that and there's nobody who I'm looking to set up them bluffing so I can then check raise them or so I can like check call them down. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to set anything like that up. So I think just doing 12, letting them call with their wide range, and then if somebody picks up, like, Queens or Jacks, I think that, or Ace-King, I think they're likely to 3-bet me, and then I can 4-bet. Um, so I, that's why I go 12 there. and I, Yeah, I could go a little higher, and I think they would notice but not care too much.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I personally vary my race size a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, yeah, it's based on kind of the second type of factors that you talked about. Not so mm-hmm. much like what my the exact strength of my hand is, but more of like the type of players behind me and how sticky they are with their range, and mm-hmm. you know their three and four betting tendencies. Right. Um, yeah. So if 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 that's like the primary reason you're coming up with your varying raise size, then I think it's okay and unlikely to get exploited at one two. Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's it's not going to get exploited at 1-2. like I'm confident it won't get exploited at one two, um, or at least at this particular one two table. Um, and that's why, yeah, I think keeping it at 12 is, is pretty much good there. If I'm late position and multiple people have come in, then I can make it higher. But here, I've been raising to 12 with pretty much my whole raising range. Um, and they're, just, they're not 3-betting with less than, like, jacks or ace-king. Um, and so I can go ahead and do that.
0: Um,
2: mm-hmm. well, so I make it 12. Let
0: me, yeah. Let me, let me just say one thing about this uh, variable raise size mm-hmm. uh, preflop. The only thing I want to add is I think that your opening size with no limpers is going to get a lot more scrutiny than your sizing when there are limpers. Mm. Uh-huh. So I think the time to be exploitative with your opening sizings is when you're coming in over limpers. Uh, people, people just aren't just conscious that, like, okay, if you're raising 12 and there's three limpers, you're always going to be raising 18. So, But they might be conscious that you're always opening to 12. So yeah, if there are limpers, then I think you can exploitively... Uh, jack it up with your premiums. But. Uh, yeah, so
2: I, one thing I'd add on to that, at least at least again for 1 2, I think this probably doesn't hold for 2 5. Um, I always try to take note of who is willing to limp uh, limp fold preflop and who, once they've thrown in 2, feels obligated to call 12.
0: Right. Um, yeah, that's an important thing. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and th- and that's for a standard 12. I and like, certainly if you make it 30, then anyone can find a fold at 1 2. Um, But there are there are a fair number of one two players who will toss in two bucks, and even people I'll notice who they'll be sitting to my immediate right, and there'll be like four limpers, including them. I'll make a twelve. The other like the blinds and the other three will all call, and then they'll fold. And that's because in their mind they have two dollar hands and they have twelve dollar hands, and they're not thinking about like oh I'm price like they're not thinking about being priced in or anything. What they're thinking is this is not a twelve dollar hand. I want to get out. Um, And sometimes (laughs) there's some people because. They have, like, king five off and That shouldn't be a $2 hand, but it's definitely not going to play well five way. Um, but if, they're do- if you have a couple people at your one-two table who are doing that, then I actually, I, I would actually usually not make my raises larger just because they're limpers, because I can make a 12 get just as many folds uh, and set up a pot in which I'm in position and can, like, make a standard... Uh, like a a standard flop bet and know where I'm at.
0: Well, I just think if like, if you're confident some people are always calling and you have a premium and people aren't Mm going to adjust to your race size, you should definitely raise bigger.
2: Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I I was thinking less about premiums than in general, because in general, if you're in late position, there's five people in and you're raising, I'd say you usually want to be raising. Like I don't, I don't like the idea of like making a twelve dollar pot builder raise where you're then going to play against six people in position. Like that, that's usually not going to be profitable to do that pot builder raise and then have to face down a field of six people. Um, there are some conditions where it will be, but like I think those are pretty rare conditions. So I think the the standard that I often see on two plus two of you should increase your raise based on the number of limpers is one that i would often follow unless some of those limpers are like auto folding the second there's any raise and i think that's a thing to to watch for that usually doesn't get talked about on the boards at least
1: definitely yeah you want to th- the way that i like to think about it is you want to ensure that the people who limp like who limped make another mistake of limp calling with as wide of a range as possible so even yeah. if you you know get five ways when you make it let's say 15 versus getting like two ways when you make it 20, 15 is better because then you're making more people make more egregious pre-flop mistakes, even though then post flop, you're going to win the pot a smaller percentage of the time. Right. Uh, yeah. Well,
0: that, that may or may not be true depending on, uh, the table because the, the shorter handed it is, the more you're going to be able to overachieve your equity in the hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's going to be, I think, I just am pretty confident that we're much, we have a much bigger advantage playing heads up three way pots than four way, five way, six way pots. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I'm happy to see calls, I'm, I'm happier to go, uh, five way when I raise for 20, uh, than three way when I raise to 20 in this sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd rather raise to twenty and be slightly more short because I think I'll be able to overachieve uh, my equity in these short-handed pots.
1: Yeah, I think there's k- kind of a balance with you know the ten to whatever it is twenty dollar at least at one two mistake that each limp potential caller will be making. Balance that with you know how much you're going to overachieve your equity and what your edge is in position post flop, mm-hmm. and yeah.
0: Yeah, so like a a quick toy example, it's like if I know I can raise to 12 and get five callers, but if I raise to 20, I'll probably only get two or three callers. Then you'll have more in the pot when you raise to 12. Uh, But when you raise to 20, you'll have almost as much in the pot and probably a much larger percentage of uh, realizable equity.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. I I would... Just to add, and again, this is assuming a card table where there just aren't a lot of good card players. I expect myself at all time, like after I've had at least half an hour of table, to have some analysis and plan for how I expect to make money off of each of my opponents. And if somebody's like pretty decent or they play like pretty standard tag, then the expectation is you know I'm going to cut out like a couple. A couple of small pots from them, but unless we get into a spot where both of us kind of need to get money in the middle because we both have good hands, like that person is somebody I don't expect to go up against. And that means that often when I'm deciding my raise sizes pre flop, one of the things that's dictating it is who are the people who I expect to be calling and what types of, like, do they make the mistake of folding too easily on the flop? Do they make the mistake of having to see it all the way to the river if they have any kind of pair or any kind of draw like who are the people that i'm inviting in and what's my plan for making money off of them later so i'm less worried about sort of broad equity questions that i am about like what sort of exploitation plans am i setting up and how do those fit with this current like most of my raises are not with premiums um i'm much happier to raise with Nine ten suited. Uh, when I'm up against a player who uh, is going to fold unless they have top pair, good kicker, um, and that's something where if they'll call and no one else will, then I'm going to raise high so that they're the only caller, and then I can just like take that pre-flop bet from them every time. Um, then with kings, I may want to play against actually a wider range of people because I don't want to just get stuck. I-, I don't want to only be playing against the person who I know is almost always folding the flop.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think that's good. Uh, I think that's something a lot of people don't do you know like mm-hmm. you're saying within half an hour you're trying to really understand like what their specific pre and post flop tendencies are like are they limp calling too much of limp folding are they folding too much on the flop which it seems to be in the player pool you're playing with seems to be the case the majority mm-hmm. of the time and then you know thinking about how you're gonna exploit that because i think a lot of people are quick to be like oh he's a fish and she's a fish and you know <laughs> i'm just gonna like make some hands where you know at some places like that is going to make you some money, but it's never going to make you as much money as like actually paying attention and thinking exactly where your edge is going to come from. You know, because I think everyone thinks their edge is going to come from just like being awesome and making hands. You know, where clearly that's that's not the case. Yeah,
2: this this, this reminds me later in this session that we're discussing. Uh, like it, it was like in the final fifteen minutes or so of the session, I think. This guy who I'd been playing with—it's now pretty late at night—who uh, like was solid tag, probably didn't bluff a lot, uh, probably didn't bluff quite enough—and um, had like 500—and commented to me like several times how he, he was gonna he was gonna get it all in against me, and it was gonna be like nuts against second nuts, but he was gonna have the nuts. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> real late in the session, and I ended up picking up kings, and I ra- he had he had limbs, and limped, I pick up kings, and I raise, and he three bets, and I'm like. My, my, like, alarm bells went off, like, oh, my God, I think this dude might have aces. Uh, and so I just called instead of re-raising, because uh, I also thought he had some bluff frequency in him. Um, and I do not want to lose, like, his queens and jacks by re-raising it anyway. Um, and the flop came, like, three hearts, and I had the king of hearts. Uh, and uh, it turned out that he had aces with the ace of hearts. And of getting it on the flop, and I was just sort of like, oh, like... He, he, he had exactly that plan you're talking about about like I'm just like I'm, I'm gonna win a huge pot off of this guy by being awesome and also happening to have like aces with the nut flush draw against kings with the second nut flush draw, which is just you know like it's a dream scenario that never happens and then it totally <laughs> happened and there went five hundred dollars over to him. Like oh well,
1: I take ba- I take back what I said, guys. Forget all this stuff we're talking about. Just be awesome and make some. Hands. Just, just
2: be awesome and have that lucky thing. Like have quads when they have. Uh, top full house. Like, have nuts when they have second nuts and you will always win the money. Congratulations, you're a great card player. Done and done. Um, All of this, by the way, does a nice job of of setting up the thing that I'm going to explain I did massively wrong later in the hand, by the way, I think. (laughs) Um, Should we get to the flop?
0: Uh, Well, what happened? uh, You raised and recap again what happened. What position were you in
2: again? Uh, I'm I'm UTG plus two Uh, I open for 12 with pocket kings.
0: And is it a Um, ten-handed table? I can't remember.
2: Yeah, it's ten-handed. Okay. Um, And I get called by a guy in middle position, like, probably I think two or three seats to my left. Um, He calls. He's a reg who I've seen before, but I don't think I've played before. Uh, He's got, I think, like $550. Uh, He's not been calling me very wide. Um, Like, if I was, if I had been raising with, like, Ace-10 offsuit or, like, 8-9 suited, and he raised, I would immediately be thinking, let's not see bet all boards, because he's probably calling with so, like something decently legit. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he calls. I also don't think... I think he's capable of bluffing. I don't think he has a big bluffing frequency. Um, but he calls. Everyone else ends up folding. So we just go two-way to the flop. We're getting... What, about 20, after the rake, say $25 in the pot. Uh, and like 500, still about 550, maybe 535 effective stack. Um, and the flop is one of those flops that I don't make plans for, which is King, King, Seven, Rainbow. Uh, by the way, even though we're playing, e- even though we're during the time when they have high hand uh, qualifiers there's half an hour left in this qualifier and straight flushes up on the board. So I'm not having any high hand considerations like that. That's out. Um, And uh, yeah. So King King seven comes, I have quads. There is no straight draw. There is no flush draw there. It's one of those hands where like, it's great that you have quads. There's nothing for the other person to possibly have. Um, I check the flop, which I think is obvious and indisputable because uh, this is not a player who's going to call me. While, like he, if I bet he's going to think it's too likely that this guy has ace king or king queen or king jack or whatever, he's just going to get out. Like there's no way that he's going to float me.
1: So he'll, so would, I just would, he fold, would he fold eights or nines there?
2: Uh, yeah, I think he would. I think he would, at most he would call the one bet, uh, with eights or nines and then fold on the turn.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and he might just fold eights or nines right away. Um, But yeah, he might give me one bet. But if he's going to call with eights or nines on the flop, then he would definitely call with them on the turn. So I just I think that this is, like, I'm at most getting two streets, maybe one street of value against pretty much his entire range. Uh, And I think the the obvious thing is just to go ahead and check here. Um, I think if he has, like, pocket queens, pocket jacks, and he was just calling me instead of three betting me, which maybe... A third of the time he does, Um, I run into that into trouble with that sometimes. Um, If if he's just doing that, then maybe he bets the flop for me. Um, In which case, I probably just have to check call and then figure out how to extract money on the turn. Um, But really, I think, like I just don't think he has a very high bluffing frequency. I certainly don't think he's got a float with a plan of bluffing frequency. I think that's close to like zero. Um, So I think I just have to check in order to try to get some value on later streets from his pocket pairs or from hands that make one pair on the turn. Um, So I go ahead and check and he checks behind. Everything is looking simple. I'm still expecting this is going to be a tiny, tiny pot because there's just nothing for him to have. Um, Questions or analysis on the flop?
0: Uh, I mean, I I think you should check. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think one, you'd like to give this person an opportunity to bluff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, if this person checks behind and then makes a strong hand on the turn, that's Mm -hmm. a really excellent situation for you. One mistake I think, and we can, we can debate over whether it's a mistake, but one type of thing that I see a lot of, uh, one, two, one, three players doing Mm -hmm. would be to go ahead and bet a hand like eights or nines when checked to on this flop. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's sort of a protection bet, maybe sort of a value bet. Yeah. Uh, so I think you actually might get more action from a hand like eights or nines by checking. Yeah. Uh, and then calling probably checks through on the turn a lot. And then you can put out a i bet on the river. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you should definitely check.
2: Yeah. Thinking it through, if I was in his position and I had eights or nines, I would almost definitely bet them when check to, uh, both to charge his, uh, mostly to charge his hands that just have two bear over cards. Um, yeah. And because I often figure to be good there, um, but not good in a way that wants to get into big streaks later. Um, so I'm probably, if, if I was in his position and it was checked to me, uh, and I have eights or nines on a king king seven board, I'm probably taking a bet flop check turn, evaluate river line. Um, I think that he's more likely to check eight or nines there since I'm a more aggressive better than he is.
1: Okay.
2: So on to yeah. the turn. So on to the turn. Uh, turn is a five, completes the rainbow. Uh, so now we have king, king, seven, five. Um, I go ahead and bet 15, um, which I think is the right bet in this spot because I'm pretty sure that's the bet that... Like, I, I'm pretty sure what that says to him is, okay, I think you don't have a king, and I'm hoping that you'll just fold. So I think that's a bet. I think he's folding his, like, random suited connectors now. Uh, I think he's probably calling 15 if he, like, banked a five or happens to have a seven or if he has most pocket pairs. I think he's probably calling 15 and then evaluating river. Um, I still don't expect him to bet if I check to him... With most of that range. Um,
1: yeah, that, that checks yeah. out to me. So, w- what would you say your image is to this guy specifically at this time?
2: Uh, I think he thinks that I'm a good player who is uh, running well and aggressive. Um, and I think that he, to the extent that he has a plan for me, I think his plan for me is to wait until he has good hands. Uh, and then, like, catch me betting too wide, raise, and hope to get paid off.
1: Okay, then, yeah, I mean, I like this plan of betting, like, 15 on the turn. I think I would, in this spot, would, like, that type of of image intend on, you know, betting turn kind of small, and then, like, betting river pretty large, because I think that just, that line is going to look bluffiest to him, and even if he's not normally going to want to bluff catch multiple streets. And a bet, I think that type of line would bring out that type of reaction. So I like the plan. Yeah, good, good. Um, so this is where it gets weird. Because I make it 15,
2: and he raises to 30.
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but also, what? So, um, yeah, what do you think about his bluffing frequency here? Like, what do you... How often do you think he's bluffing... Bluffing this bet here, I think. It, I think he's bluffing very rarely.
2: Um, like if if we had a different board where it was possible for him to have more value in his range, and there's like six value combos in his range. There's you know pocket sevens and pocket fives are his entire range of value combos. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If we if this was a board where he could have like twenty value combos, like still very few, but You know, not not nothing. Uh, If this was a board where I had Ace-King, and it was King-King-7-5, then I would think it was, like, 90 or 95% likelihood that he had the other king uh, and was, uh, like, trying to go to war, thinking that his trips were good. Um, So I think that, like, in general, like, prior to him making the raise, I think that his... Uh, bluffing frequency here is, like, 5 to 10% or lower. It's definitely not higher than 10%. Um, This is not a guy who is generally... Like, I think that this is a a once-in-a-blue-moon razor, um, or once-in-a-blue-moon bluffer. Um, Maybe... I could see him maybe, like, semi-bluffing with 6-8 here. Like, maybe that happened? And actually, there's a lot more combos of 6-8... Then there are combos of sevens and fives. Mm -hmm. So that almost becomes more likely than he made the underboat uh, and now is trying to get value for it. Um, But really, like a a pure bluff just seems so unlikely that unless I had noticed him, like looking at his watch or like receiving a phone call from his wife or something else that like is going to like switch his gear, it just seems really low. Um,
1: So yeah, I think then we just have to value target his six combos of of sets. Jack?
0: I I don't know if I I agree. Um uh, I mean I just think that like I don't think we should be raising on the turn. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's fairly likely that this player is bluffing just because he first of all he has to check it check back his sevens. Uh, which is not super likely, and so so really it 's just fives and maybe one combo of sevens mm-hmm. and so I, I think that even a player that you might think has a really low bluffing frequency, just because there's so few value hands, I think you know even if he 's only bluffing like six, eight and his in like a couple random bluff combos, then he 's already outweighing his value a ton Mm -hmm. so what I would and the other thing is if you raise I think I mean unless you give him an amazing price to just call and hope to like hit a straight which isn't Mm -hmm. which is an option uh, Mm -hmm. then you're you're sort of blowing him off any hand other than a set Mm -hmm. and so I think what we should do is call check allow him to continue bluffing and if he does have a set he's definitely gonna bet it and then I would probably just shove the river check shove the Mm -hmm. river Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I mean I guess the other question Dave is do you think this guy um like can get away from you know his bottom full houses his fives and his sevens like no (laughs) yeah I so the well, but you guys are, you guys are like two hundred big, big ones deep, right? It doesn't matter. I'm just listen. I think likely. I just I just wanted to hear what they no, had to on, say
2: <laughs> on the turn. He can't on the if the river comes with an ace or a queen, then I think it's possible he could. Okay, I think there's there's no way that he's gonna fold fives or sevens, um, uh, like on the turn. But a bad river card that shouts, you know, like because I mean it's just he's got to be putting me on like i On top set, if I'm re-raising or from shoving, mm-hmm. um, and he's good. But if a bad river card comes in, then I could see him for that much money, deciding that nope, got it. You know, guy must have gotten here and, and, and getting out of it.
0: Um, I mean, I guess if an if an ace comes, we don't. If an ace comes, we don't have to shove. I still think right. if sure. an ace comes and we check, he's betting all fives and sevens for sure, mm-hmm. and we can make a smaller check raise. Mm-hmm. Uh I still would would probably be eager to put someone to the test to see if they could actually fold a full house. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I don't think is likely. Exactly. But yeah. So, yeah, I mean But I think, anyway, back to the turn. Zach, what do you think about just yeah. flattening here? So I,
1: I think I mean we kinda have to think about the river too when we're thinking about what we're doing on the turn. Uh I think it's really just a question of you know, measuring like his bluffing frequency against cards that could make him potentially fold on the river. So, Dave, if you're saying it's really just like an ace or a queen and his bluffing frequency is really low, well, then I just like the ripping, the turn. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm also, I'm hearing what Jack is saying and maybe, you know, you have your read that this guy is likely not bluffing, but mm-hmm. you did check the flop on like a really polarizing board and then made a small bet on the turn. Mm-hmm. Um so that he could have a bigger bluffing frequency than you're giving him credit for. Yeah. But I think someone who would make this raise with air, mm-hmm. you know, you're not getting another cent of his money. Like the type of yeah. person that rarely bluffs and then decides to bluff now, like is not the person who's going to then follow through on the river for any amount. In my experience. And and I've definitely, you know, kind of been able to induce bluffs from people who rarely bluff kind of as more of just like a you know, fuck you play, like, you know, when you make it, when you raise it to 30 there, like, he's really only folding out your air. So Mm -hmm. I don't think he has a plan to follow up uh, if he's bluffing there, with the one exception being with, like, his 6-8 suited. But Mm -hmm. I think given the fact that he could be capable of folding to a shove on the river, I think the best value play is to just rip it right now on the turn.
2: Yeah. Um, See, I think... Jeff, that's the one where I have with your line is if I was, if I was in position on the river uh, and he had check raised me, then I find it pretty easy to just call him. Um, but I, I don't like just calling the 30. Uh, and then we we have so much behind and I, I don't see this guy. Like, I'd just be really surprised if this was the spot where he decided to fire two barrels, particularly because one thing he's going to be used to, like, when I call his 30, he's going to be thinking, like, oh, God, is this guy, does this guy have Ace, King, King, Queen, or whatever? Uh, and is like, you know, you know, and I'm just trying to get somebody else to bet for me. Um, so I just, I, I'm a little worried that on the river I'm then going to have to check, and he's just going to check me out because he doesn't think it's worth
0: it. Um, well, yeah. okay, so I think... I think ripping it on the turn has to be a mistake.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh because let's okay, let's limit his range to exclusively fives, sevens, and six eight suited. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. Can we limit the sevens to one combo?
1: Sevens to one, that, to one combo?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I he, he, he bets two thirds of his sevens on I the flop.
1: I don't know about that. Let
0: let's give I mean, him. All I don't combos. think we can. What? Give Let, him all com- give him no, the combos. No, we can't give him all combos.
1: Yeah, we, we can't give him all the combos. But player.
0: I either okay. So we give him one, and now we have in this extremely limiting bluffing circum- like bluff scenario. Mm-hmm. We have four to four. Give him two combos. We have five to four value to bluff. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're missing value by raising small on the turn, mm-hmm. uh, because we—if we're going to raise on the turn, we should at least raise to a size where he can call with his bluffs mm-hmm. or call to draw. I mean, like if we're ripping the turn, we're just like we're just saying like, okay, well, fuck any hand that's not a set.
1: Yeah, I think I guess you're right because if he does, even if it's very unlikely that he'll have six eight suited, he still. Like we'll call a small raise with it,
0: and so I guess yeah. if you're if you're claiming that this player is only ever bluffing with an, like, with six eight suited and will never ever continue on the river for a size larger than like forty five. Mm-hmm. If, if that's the s- circumstance, then I, I like a small raise on the turn. I just don't think that's the circumstance. I think it's likely that he's bluffing wider. I think it's extremely likely that any wider bluffs, we're going to blow him off with any raise. Mm-hmm. So I prefer to just call, let him fire again, and I don't think we're missing value from the value hands with that line. But I could be wrong.
2: Okay, yeah. Um, so I decided to click it back. I, I re-raised to 60. Um, yeah, after- I think if you're
0: going to raise, that's a good sizing. Yeah.
2: So, and my thinking, there was specifically, I want it to be a raise size that, first of all, if, if he has a boat, then he he's welcome to re-raise me, um, which I hope he'll do with a boat. But I don't know that he'll do with a boat. Um, in fact, he might not because he might be trying to uh, uh, slow play his boat yeah. and not put me off of whatever I might have. Um, but in particular, when he's got six eight, or you know, we can actually toss we can toss six four it's suited in there as well. Now that I think about it, well, now um, we have
0: it. Right.
2: Yeah. Um but like so let's say that he's got you know uh he, he called with a suited one gapper, there's a couple of those that you could have. Um I wanna make sure it's a bet size that has him thinking, like, aha, now I know that you have three of a kind, but I can still hit my straight and you got so much money. Yeah. Um so I, I clicked it back for that reason, knowing that you know, if the straight comes that's gonna be great. If an ace or a queen comes, it's gonna be terrible. Um and, like, I pretty much am going to have to bet the river now because once I've taken this line, he's just not, like, I don't think he's going to bluff with anything. Um, like, I think I've shut down his bluffs, so it's down to value hands now, but at least now the pot will be, what, 145 as opposed to, like, 85. That's going to make it hard to get all the money in there, but at least, like, I can make a bigger ri- river bet now. Um so I, I click it back to 60, he calls. He feels pretty comfortable while calling. Um, and the river was like a it was like a deuce. I mean, river's a full blank. Not anything that makes my hand look scarier, not anything that can make his hand if he had a semi-bluff. Um, and this is where I, I feel like I just stopped thinking. Um, because if I really... I think if I really pause and think about it, his range is now fully polarized to bluffs that won't bluff again and small full houses. So I think my options here ought to be jam or check to let him bet his full house. um, Or maybe 1% of the time, like get weird and and bet a, uh, a a busted straight draw. Um, But basically check to let him bet his full house and then jam over top of it and force him to call. Um, And there's probably not a lot of marginal utility in those two betting lines. Either way, it's about getting it all in against his made hands. Um, and those made hands will call pretty much any bet. Because um, all of his full houses are still thinking I have ace, king, or king, queen and, and making the call. Um, but instead of doing either of those things, I thought to myself, okay, there's 145 in the pot. He has a ton left over. I can't over the bet, bet the pot for too much. And I can't explain to you in retrospect why I thought I can't over the bet, bet the pot for too much. I'm just like, I'm kind of not used to doing it. My general rule at one, two is like, when they're ready to go big, it's because they have a big hand, but there's like still just almost no big pan. I just kind of like wasn't thinking about those six combos enough. Um, so I bet 200, which leaves him with like, he, he's able to call for half of his, basically half of his stack. Or he can move in over the top if he wants to, but I only bet half of his stack, which is a bit of an overbet, but it's not an all-in shove. Um, should we discuss that, or should I just
1: give you results? I mean, you should discuss it. Y- yeah, like you know, for the reasons we discussed before, I think probably check shoving is the best the best line here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to bet, it should be a shove. And just kind of more generally about this, like you're kind of saying your general rule at 1-2 isn't to, like, overbet as people are, are only likely to kind of get the type of money in with really big hands. Uh, that's obviously, you know, player pool dependent and how you're perceived personally, but I find that I overbet significantly more at 1-2 two than 2-5, two, uh, you know, primarily for value. So I, I just think it's always well, important... to play uh-huh.
2: against you at a 1-2 table that works for your image and doesn't work at all for mine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like
2: the what makes me a one-two crusher most of the time is making, like constantly applying, re- pl- applying pressure with reasonably sized bets and allowing one-two regs who like to stay out of trouble, like allowing them to decide that discretion is the better part of valor. Valor. Like I think it's it, one in every three one-two sessions I play, I end up bluffing and having a person uh, open fold a set to me. Because a flush or a straight came in, and my betting line just leaves them deciding that I must have made the the, the
1: straight or the flush. Yeah, happens to me all the time too, Dave.
2: <laughs> okay, um, but like <laughs> Not, your, yeah, your right. overbets work because of the image that you craft at the table, whereas like the image I craft at the table, which is all about allowing them to like decide that they should make those folds, uh, and then like never showing them my, my bluffs or anything, um, means that. Like it, if I'm if I'm shoving, like I think he's going to read that as this has to be ace king or better, um, which when I say that aloud doesn't matter if he has fives or sevens. But in general, is the reason why like that over shove that I see you doing in a session, like I'm just never doing against a player like this, like pretty much ever. But I should. Hear.
0: In terms of this river, I, I this I think check shoving's best. But I, I think part of why it's best, which we haven't talked about, is that any time this player bluffs, it is a huge win. So that's a good point. So we we should just give him an opportunity to do that, especially mm-hmm. if we know that there is no hands in his range that are checking back that would have called a bet.
2: So the the one thing that I will question there is whether. Since I think his bluffing frequency to start out is so low, there's got to be some percentage of the time where he played queens, jacks, or tens just really weirdly, and he decided not to three bet me pre flop because it's a huge hand, but he's you know he doesn't want to scare me off of it, and he checked behind on the flop because he wanted me to bet, and then I bet the flop, and he raised me, but I re raised but it was so small so he couldn't he felt like he couldn't let him go, and then the river comes. If I check, I think he just tries to get out of there alive and checks behind um, because he he feels wedded to the hand, but also he doesn't see how it can be any any good anymore. But even once again, that's a reason why I think maybe shoving instead of check shoving is good. That's still not a reason to bet two hundred because I don't think he's calling two hundred then.
0: Well, actually, you know, I was I was sort of thinking about that. We hadn't talked about that, so I wasn't including it in our range analysis. But if we think he ever has a hand like Jacks Tens Queens here, then I Mm -hmm. think that's that's a reason to bet maybe something like 75 or a hundred. Bet a sizing that you're confident he's going to call with those hands. Mm -hmm. uh, And also confident that you're going to get raised when he has a full house. Yeah. I think betting like 75 or a hundred will accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If, if there's any reason you think those hands are unlikely, Mm -hmm. then I would just check to try and induce bluffs. The other thing I'll just mention is like, Sure, he has a a low bluffing frequency, mm-hmm. but he also has like a range that's almost entirely bluffs. Right. He yeah he really has you know like maybe somewhere between four and six value hands. Mm-hmm. So even if his bluffing frequency is very low, he almost is exclusively looking down at shit. So yeah. Uh Now the fact that he called probably means that a lot of those like. S- Totally low equity bluffs he might have had on the turn are gone, mm-hmm. uh, but that that was just I guess that was more of a point for the turn. So
1: yeah, yeah, I I think that's a good good thing to think about actually in terms of the river. Like I think a hundred could potentially get him to call with those mm-hmm. sets, which could be a disaster. But I think like like fifty or sixty, just to be like a hundred percent sure, he would raise. Yeah, uh, those full houses might actually be the best line. Um, the best line there. It's just, a, yeah, it's a question of how much you think he has those weirdly played middle pairs compared to his, you know, low equity bluffs or semi-bluffs.
2: Yeah. I really like the idea of betting 50, like actually betting less than I had just raised to the previous time to guarantee a call from all of his random pocket pairs because now he's just thinking, what the hell is this? Uh, and to just make all of his make sure that the, the times when he actually did ha- does have those made hands that he just feels like there's no way that he can call. He has to raise. Cause obviously I don't, like he's gotta be good. Like I'm a little worried that once we hit triple digits at the one, two table that he, he's gonna see monsters under the bed and just call even with those boats. Um, but I think if we're in the double digits and particularly if it's a smaller bet than I had just made, but I, I think he, he's just going to see do- have dollar signs in his, in his eyes. I like that idea a lot.
0: I do kind of, I have a feeling you're going to like say that he flat called with fives and you felt like a fool with, like with a bed of 200 and I'm going to look silly for saying this, but it's a pretty extreme monster to see under the bed in this situation with fives mm-hmm. and especially <laughs> sevens. Like you have mm-hmm. so many, so many kings in your range and yeah. exactly one combo of kings that I think like, you'd have to be up against like a super-duper paranoid player to not get raised for a bet of 100 here. So I guess my only point with that is that we should be, I think, targeting hands like jacks, 10s to the max. And if we think a hand like that would call 75 a 100, I'd prefer that sizing over 50. Mm-hmm. Okay, show you the results. Yeah, let's get let's get the results.
2: Uh, he just called with pocket fives.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I figured if you brought the hand on, that was what would have to happen. But. Uh, that
2: has to. Uh, yeah. Any other? If, if he, you know, if he raises a pocket <clears throat> fives, so and this is not a hand that I want to analyze afterwards, <laughs> everything worked yeah. out. Even though in retrospect,
0: it still wasn't a good bet. Um, well, what I was what I was going to say before is like, and I didn't end up saying this because I didn't want to make you feel bad, <laughs> but I think. <laughs> I think betting a sizing like 200 is like the one size that you could get him to like just smooth call, like five or sevens here.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, the reason why I want I think it's the worst possible sizing.
0: In yeah. I think it is the worst possible sizing. Yeah. But Dave,
2: you got 10 years. Don't feel bad. I'm going to do a 10 year. That's true. And I left the session a winner. So it must have worked out right. <laughs> Let's be short term oriented. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I I still, I, if I was him, I still would have shoved over the two hundred there, since I still would have been assuming Ace King. Um, and you know, if I had Ace King, I might have taken that line. I probably, yeah, I, I you know, I might have taken that line with Ace King. Um, but yeah, he just called, which left him with about two hundred dollars left in his stack, and left me collecting a pot that was lighter than it should have been when I was given the greatest gift that any card player could ever be given.
1: Yeah. Whoops. Well I think I'm glad you brought on this hand. I think it led for some good discussion. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, look forward to having you on next time and hopefully discussing a different different type of hand and you know, looking forward to when the MGM opens uh, their new casino in D C which will well actually it might not be closer to you because of traffic, but it should still be some <laughs> great games when it first opens. <laughs> All
2: right. That will be nice. That will be nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for. I'll try to get myself in some more interesting spots so we can analyze them. And usually, when uh, Zach and I talk after a session, I'll be like, you know what? Kind of nothing interesting happened, um, and I made a hundred bucks or something. Um, but I'll, I'll try to get myself in some trouble so that we can analyze the trouble.
0: Yeah, that's we haven't like- had a nice like extracting value with Quad's hand in a while. Yeah, it's that's been a had- lot of failed bluffs by me. <laughs> Yeah, when we
1: first started the podcast, we did a lot of kind of getting max value type hands Mm -hmm. and then uh, had some suggestions (laughs) to get other hands. And then we've probably done maybe a little bit less of those kind of getting max value hands than would be useful to the type of person that that I imagine listens to this podcast. Because, you know, really making sure you get max value with your value hands is the most important skill Mm -hmm. at one, two, and two, five. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other very important things, but uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we had this this type of discussion. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Poker related, politics related, dog related?
2: Uh, I have nothing to plug at the moment. In a couple months I will. Then I don't know.
1: Okay. Well, everyone, watch out for Dave's book or article in a couple months. <laughs> uh, you could find him on the internets. Just remember the the silent F. (laughs) And uh, have have a good one, Dave. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Cool. Thanks a lot. Take care, guys. Thanks, Dave.